jerks, shut up. Hey, shut up, you jerks. Focus on me, idiots. Hi, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw, your host, and I'm joined by Josie Gleave. Hi. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Happy to I'm, be here. Happy I'm little glad. clam. And nice to see you. It's been a while. Has been a but little you've bit. Been, yeah, you've been busy with all sorts of really fancy interviews, and I've been enjoying that. Well, thank you. It's, it's been a summer of interviews, everybody. What a fun time here on TWIM. I am curious where you found like all of these new books that have been published and these new authors and different stories that I've never heard before. Where are you finding this information? There's there's lot it's mixes. Sometimes people approach us. Um, oh. sometimes we're on just because That's we've flattering. Been around, well it, it is flattering. I mean, sometimes when you've been around for eleven years almost, like we have, we just wind up like our generic email addresses on a publicist's list and they might send a a form email to all kinds of people and you just respond to it if it seems interesting. Um, and there's sometimes I've responded and said, I know this was just a generic thing. And they've said, no, we're actually like, we contacted you directly. I said, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to be rude. Um, <laughs> but sometimes that and other times just through various alerts and just keeping tabs on, uh, like, like the last week's episode with miles Harvey, all about James Strang. That was more where we, we knew the book was coming out. And so we contacted the publisher about him and, he was game. They sent us a copy of the book. It was great. It was awesome. So, hmm. Well, it's been interesting to follow along. Otherwise, how are you doing? Yeah. Everything all good? Yeah, just, just chugging along here, you know, just, just working our way through summer. And I can't believe it'll be September next week, which is crazy. Do you have, cap- do you have COVID cabin fever yet? A little bit. It's been yeah. five odd months now. Little hard. Our ward, though, our our ward finally did our first in person meeting yesterday. Oh, really? How did it go? You, so, it was it was pretty good. I, I know some of you listening have already been back for a little while. In many cases, especially in Utah, it was just devil may care in Utah. So we've it's been we've been very cautious out here, and it was good. I did not go, and nor do I intend to go anytime soon, and I don't have the need um, because of both uh, regulations by the state. And the area presidency for North America Northeast, we're only doing um, meetings of 25 people at, at a time. Um, our, so they're, they're doing it. So our ward gets the building one week a month, one Sunday a month. And we can basically do with it whatever we want. If we wanted to have like four sacrament meetings, we could. Uh, but right now we're just doing one sacrament meeting once a month, 25 people. Uh, and so we tried to invite those uh, who we thought would benefit the most, like the bishopric reached out to individuals. But a lot of it was like single women, things like that, and other yeah. some people who might be more recent converts, whatever. People who would benefit clearly more and have that more of a need to be there in person than I do, or that some other people might, because I miss seeing people, but I'm fine doing church at home with my family, and I'm fortunate that I can bless the sacrament, and it's fine. So uh, it was good, though, but we live-streamed it. I never knew the church actually has its own streaming service. I thought they only used it strictly like for closed circuit things, you know, during state conference and what have you, you know, send it to rooms, but it's an actual service the church had. We clicked on a link and no zoom, no anything. You select your award, the scheduled meeting. And, and then that little camera that's up on the, up on the wall, like just foot pointed at the podium, little, uh, little motorized camera that can rotate around and zoom in. That's always there. So that was pretty cool. So we just uh, streamed it up and cast it to our TV and enjoyed it. It was nice. That's so it's fun. Nice. I'm glad to see we're doing this, and it's going to be our first step of many until we can ease back in, assuming the virus uh, stabilize. You know, assuming things go well this fall, maybe things will get a little more back to normal. But we'll see what happens. But it was good. And other than that, I'm just chugging along. How about you? What's going on over there, old uh, Singapore way? Not much has changed. Um, we are well. Actually, I'm trying to think when the last time we spoke, and if I was still in our lockdown. Um, that kept the last, extended. The last time we spoke, you got Maybe dissed I was to be a nose to be a nose swabber. You were going to be testing people, <gasps> I'm and they didn't want. Still mad about that. <laughs> so. I really wanted that job. But no, I I wonder if maybe they realized, like they trained a bunch of people and then maybe perhaps realized they didn't actually need as many 
testers. Um, it's unclear, I think, on that front as to what happened to me. But I was super keen. But no, otherwise, um, we we have not started up with church yet. We're allowed to, um, like, personally within friends and out in public meet up with only about five people. So we can kind of do that. It's not necessarily that it has to be the same five people. So there's not that right. restriction. Um, and I believe that church meetings uh, for any sort of religion are allowed to meet with up to 50 people. And I think they are trying to extend that to 100, but you do have to prove like as a congregation um, or as an organization that you could handle the 50 first, which we haven't done and we yeah. haven't tested. So I know our stake is trying to figure that out, um, but there's no progress on that just yet. So, um, but yeah, I think it's very much a mixed bag of there's, you know, people like us who it's like, you know what, I'm actually doing okay with church at home, missing, you know, people and being able to chat with them and just check on, check up a little bit easier, like face to face with how they're doing. But otherwise, you know, we're pretty fortunate, um, but there are, I think, same thing, the priority for people going back to church would, again, be, we have a lot of, um, uh, like, um, mixed member families and yeah. some sisters or, you know, just singles and some of our YSA that that could be a better fit for them to try that first if they're comfortable with coming out. Not everybody is comfortable with um, mixing and mingling in public yet. So it's going okay, in short. And I'm glad so. they stressed that. Like on our side, they've said, for one, we're not pushing anybody. Like you're invited, but if you're not comfortable coming, that's great. And they've also mm -hmm. said, obviously, you can still do church at home for the time being, everybody else, and we're, you know, we'll figure it out. I appreciate yeah. that because I've definitely seen this is strictly anecdotal and it's social media, so who knows, whatever. But even just the other day, I saw some, uh, you know, an alleged email from a stake president that went out that was basically just telling members like, you know, church at home was a gift. Like there is not another option anymore. Get in line. We're doing this in person. Boom. Like lowering the boom. Why would you do that? I don't know. I feel like that would be so just counterproductive to what we're trying to to do. And every situation is different. But if this is just some stake president in Utah, like what's with the flex? <laughs> what, like, what, are you, what are you accomplishing from that? Yeah. It's been interesting because I got called to be a young women's advisor um, around the end of last year, and I've never been in young women's before, and so I've been trying to figure the whole thing out, I mean, while still mostly being remote, and so I think actually our young women have done a pretty good job. They basically run the program themselves, and so it took me a while to try and figure out, okay, so what's my role here if I'm like not teaching? And I'm not really organizing activities because they're taking charge, which is a really good thing for them. So, but I, I do feel like I finally found my little support piece. But we are trying to test to yeah. see if we could do, like, split our young women up a little bit and do little groups of five on a particular activity in person. But we haven't tested that out yet. So we'll see. There we go. It takes Gotta a while. Make I sure mean, parents <laughs> are comfy with it too. In our case, the youth can now meet for mutual, but they have to practice social distancing and they have to be outdoors as well. Right. Which is, yeah. Which is funny. And so this sparked a whole discussion in ward council of what if they need to use the restroom? Like, are they, are we literally that much like they could meet at the church building in the parking lot, but they're not allowed to go inside for example. Oh, so right. Well, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I would not want to meet outside in August in Virginia. Not that I can complain. You're in Singapore, but still. I was going to say, I don't know if our girls will want to go outside. No, they're, I mean, they're all used to it by now. So it's more that just there's not many outdoor activities except like walking around a park or a pool. But even like pools here have restrictions and limits on the number of people and how long you can be in, which is always a bit strange because can't think of one person who has ever actually gotten COVID while being in the pool. I'm like, surely the same chemicals Every. that are in the pool <laughs> are going to kill it. Literally everyone. Yeah. I, I want to move off COVID. I, ha I yes. also had a bit of a, uh, one last thing with it. A, uh, I feel like I developed at least a more moderate understanding of something. So yesterday when we were doing our, our meeting in person, you know, they're wiping down the pulpit in between anybody speaking and things like that. But I noticed we weren't wiping down the microphone itself, the little pop filter pad that's around it. And I'm like, what are we doing? That's the closest thing to someone's face. Like, why? Like, I'm thinking like we should be doing this. We, we need to do something about that. We can't wipe down everything else. 
But the more I dwelt on it, though, I realized that as far as we know, even if a microphone right in front of your face has COVID on it, the coronavirus is not going to like aggressively jump from the microphone seeking a host <laughs> into your mouth. Thank heaven. I mean, oh it comes gosh. from tu- it comes from touching, and whenever you're speaking, you might touch the podium, you might touch the little, you know, the mic stand, the wire that holds it up yeah. to adjust it, which has also been wiped down. But no one's really grabbing the mic pad part to move it around. So I decided I I, I thought better of it and figured maybe it's okay not to wipe down the tip of the microphone itself because no one's actually touching that, even if it's just caked in COVID. And You've evolved so much. I'm trying to be a moderate now, okay? That's what I'm trying to do, which takes well, us to- Speaking our, of- our, our, our great first areas of news, everybody. What a fun time to be a Latter-day Saint as it's like you're the prettiest girl at the dance right now, where everyone wants some time with you and some FaceTime, especially people running for president. Yes, they've realized that no vote- should be taken for granted. Or rather, sorry, Republicans are realizing they can't take Mormon votes for granted like perhaps they have in the past. And Democrats are seeing an opportunity to expand their coalition, more or less. Um, A lot of this went down in Arizona in particular. Josie, your homeland, you must be so proud of your people. I'm All the great things we're seeing. (laughs) So the way this started last week was um, the Latter-day Saints for Trump held a little rally with none other than Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, And as a side note, uh, anyone seeing the article will link to it, or if you saw on social media, one of the attendees was uh, Jenny Oaks Baker, Elder President Oaks' daughter was there. And like the Oaks, the Baker family played and performed, but she posted on her page all about this. And and if there was any ambiguity, people wondered if she was just being nice, like doing music, it's the vice president, right? But no, she had... Hashtag Trump 2020, like all that stuff going on. So what we've learned from this is Jenny Oaks Baker is supporting the incumbent, which of course leads many others to wonder, does that mean her father is also supporting the incumbent? Not that it matters in the least because the brethren don't ever talk about candidates because they just don't. And also because they can't because of the Johnson Amendment. But um, so that was fun. So a lot of people got upset and some people were into it, as you might imagine. But it's funny for me to see just from the politics side, because how often are, do Republicans care about courting conservative Mormons in Arizona? Like that is not a vote that typically matters for a Republican. It's like Democrats going after California. Like, oh, I'm glad Kamala Harris is on the ticket now. Biden's for sure going to win California, everybody. That was a big question originally, right? And Sorry, to those of you who get frustrated with politics, I apologize. Um, this is so your moment. Well, it's funny to me, though. It's funny to see. I love it when like Latter-day Saints become a voting block that matters. And as you study like pieces of church history, when you learn about the Nauvoo era, how much the Saints were like one block voting. Uh, and even like James Strang, we talked about last week again with Miles. Um, yeah. Those Mormons who followed James Strang kind of voted in a block based on, and we don't vote in blocks the same way today, even if the members of the church have become in the United States, largely Republican. But it's funny to see in in contested elections where a state like Arizona suddenly become a swing state, how now it's like, all right, Latter-day Saints for Trump. We got to show that we've got our, our man. Now, of course, one side isn't enough because Democrats have also made their pitch. There is a Facebook page called Latter-day Saints for Joe. (laughs) <laughs> we're There's in like the one... best little love triangle aren't we we're getting wooed that's what I'm by both we're... sides and so deseret news has an article about how um you know that the other side of it where the latter-day saints are who support joe biden are trying to organize and democrats are going after them and like the thing is like it's very easy i think for anyone in any of any political ilk to see how their faith is represented by a specific party but i think that's just a matter of cherry picking essentially what your values are, right? I mean, if you, and I don't think I need to expound a ton on that, but it's obviously it's different depending on what you're looking to do. So, uh, so we've got, they're going after that. And then Latter-day Saints for Trump got in trouble because their website featured an image behind them of all the key movers and shakers in the movement, uh, a beautiful image of the Salt Lake Temple. And that provoked the ire of many because they felt like that looked too close to official, even though the way it's designed looks nothing like an official church property. 
but way too much like an endorsement from Salt Lake. Like, look at us. We are righteous Mormons with the temple behind us, and we support Donald Trump. And as a people who, let's face it, can sometimes succumb to a lemming mentality with certain things, that that's uh, that's risky. So, uh, anyway, this has been hilarious to watch for the past week or so. Everyone just like I just I hope it continues. I hope they just keep going after us. I hope Joe Biden visits Utah. I hope things just go crazy. Just bananas. So then we have something to fill the show with. No, I'm just I mean, kidding. Four, four years ago, it was funny because Evan McMullen ran and that made it really yeah. interesting. And I remember yeah. we talked about this a lot. Like there were interviews with Utahns who were very uncomfortable with Trump at the time. <laughs> and they uh, and they were like, well, what do I do? Like, I can't vote for Hillary, can I? And then a lot of people voted for Evan McMullen. I, I'm not saying everyone loves Joe Biden by any means. I don't think Joe Biden is as grading for many Latter-day Saints as Hillary Clinton was. So it's just going to be very interesting to see what happens. It's just fun to matter. We're, we're typically not a voting block that matters. In, in but we're United getting States. the attention now. I know. Yeah, that's right. Ignore us all the time. We are basically the Rust Belt people four years ago with the Democrats, you know? <laughs> like, like they just take them for granted. Yeah. Take us for granted. Sure, we're going to vote Democratic until and someone else comes matter. along and, and yeah. woos us. So may, maybe yeah. Biden will be successful in wooing Mormons away from their traditional block. We'll see what happens. It'll be funny. Well, we shall see. Um, another big piece of news that I think people will probably have seen already floating around is changes to the church magazines. So we currently have the four, and that in 2021 will be reduced to three. So we'll oh. still have the friend for kids. For the strength of the youth for teens, so that is being changed from the new era. I think essentially still the same magazine. It just has a new name because we're into that these days. And the Liahona for adults. So the ensign is being retired. What? Um, I know. I don't know that I'm really. I don't know. This seems. This seems. I fine. know that I you and your husband like read change. the. You sit there and read the ensign together all the time, at, daily. No. Hourly, perhaps, and this is a okay. Plug. Of course, you only get the well, Liahona out there. So, yeah. So, I I think that for the first time, there will be some families outside of English speaking countries who can subscribe to these, which is a good move. Um, and I think, uh, for example, the friend will be available in something that's like forty seven different languages, which is really cool. Um, there are local pages in the Liahona, which I quite like, and those will continue and will expand to some other areas that have previously not had local pages. They'll get those for the first time. Yeah. And so to me, I think as far as our changes that we've had, as we've had many, many of them during the Nelson era, as we like to say, I think that this is a really good one. It seems like we're moving more towards... Um, being a unified and global church. And this seems pretty well in line with the efforts to continue, you know, spiritual study at home. So I'm all for this. I'm not yeah. really feeling sad about, uh, yeah, us going down to three. I think it, I think it'll work fine. Well, I think it makes sense. I mean, we, yeah, I saw some blowback about this last week, but I just said, well, why? What's the problem here? I mean, for a long time, and you know this having been living abroad for so long. I mean, the ensign's mm. been the ensign largely available, mostly in North America, but to the English-speaking world. I imagine you could pick it up in Australia yeah. with some inserts, yeah. perhaps. But uh, the Liahona was like a whole other beast for a long time for the mm -hmm. for the rest of the church. And then some years ago, they started uh, coalescing the content between the two yes. a bit more. So the Liahona effectively became the same thing as the ensign content-wise, just with a different label and different languages. So at this point, why would you have two separate magazines? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, there's agree. no there's no point to it. So just make one magazine for the whole world, and it's a global move. Like I think this fits with President Nelson's entire push. Like why are we? It's a move away from North American exceptionalism within the church. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I think, think just the logistics of trying to translate it into as many languages as they're hoping for, even if some of those will probably just be digital, probably won't be print. Right. right. But still, that's, you know, they're going to need to make the magazines a little bit more unified and concise so that that's an easier project. Yeah. So, so the I'm inside, all for it. it. Well, it started in January 1971, folks. We went 49 years, almost 50 years of the enzyme. It's going to cease production um, in 2021. So I guess we'll get 50 years total out of it, which is a good round number to uh, end on. And if you remember, the ensign was the result of 
needing to replace all sorts of other magazines like the Improvement Era, the Relief Society magazine, the Instructor, the Millennial Star, all these other things that existed and pre-correlation were largely unregulated is the best way I would say it. Um, the the ensign was a way to unify all of that under one umbrella and we're used to it because most of us listening to this, you know, kind of grew up that way, but I know many of you also listening experienced life before the ensign. So now we'll have the Leahona. I'm okay. Hmm. I'm mostly, I didn't know about this losing the new era, which is frankly a weird name, (laughs) but It's actually also fitting with President Nelson because so many of the names we've adopted have been just like so completely on the nose. Like there is zero room for artistic interpretation of anything. It's just yeah. like, this is the youth book. It's called Youth. Read the youth book. Book for youth. Book for kids. Like that's basically what we're doing now. Uh, Mormonism for dummies. I'm book all for, for it. Book for kids. Um, here's a weird post that came out of the Salt Lake Tribune this past week. Not one you'd even expect the Trib to run, but hey, they're desperate for clicks, folks. So I guess you got to do what you got to do. The headline reads, LDS Bishop's interviews can help teens with sex questions, says therapist who was abused by clergy named Jennifer Roach. This goes against, I'd say, most of the common narrative of the past few years where we've, and the church has even adjusted because of it, where we are encouraging or allowing parents to sit in on youth interviews where we're recognizing that bishops, despite being well-intentioned, good men by and large, are also not trained therapists, and that a middle-aged man is probably the last person who should be having sexual discussions with the 14-year-old girl. Sure. So, but Jennifer Roach posits that... uh, no, it's like it's she, she presented at the Fair Mormon Conference and explained why this is good because bishops can actually help them understand in a safe space what is okay and what's not okay. Essentially, it's better for psychological development because it gives these kids a safe place to talk about it with one respected adult beside their parents. Hmm. I mean, I think that statement by itself is... Not too bad, but in practice, I mean, should that person be your bishop? Are you saying to have a deep, like intimate, emotionally intimate relationship with your bishop as a teenager? Is that a thing? Because no, (laughs) I'm going to say no on that. I can see the sense in wanting to have, um, yes, another kind of confidant besides your parents, because sometimes you know, as a teen, you just don't want to talk to your parents about these sorts of things. Um, And maybe there's a question of what is the relationship between you as a parent and your child? And is that something that you guys can discuss? Obviously, the church, I think, very much pushes that they would prefer these topics to be um, discussed between parents. I think for me, this article made me kind of question are teen and bishops interviews absolutely crucial? Um, and I ask that because she's the, and Jennifer Roach is obviously saying that like, it's an overreaction to remove these interviews. Um, but beyond providing a safe space and another adult that you can talk to, what else are we really getting from them? And I know the other extreme side of this argument is that, um, like Sam Young would say that these interviews are dangerous by definition. I also think that that's a little bit extreme. Um, and just because it like it could be potentially dangerous, yes, to be alone together. And that's normally something that we choose not to do just as much yeah. as if you're a Sunday school teacher, you keep the door open, but you're still allowed to have a discussion with a group of kids as a teacher. So do bishops need to be held to the same account? I think we've discussed this before. Like, do bishops need to have a script that they follow and take away the ability to um, have any, you know, them going off piste or and they're you know, not supposed making to go up off some script. questions? They're, they're, they're discouraged from going off script. You're basically supposed to ask, like, do you keep the law of chastity and not pry much more? Yeah, but... I think sometimes they do feel like, you know, bishops are then encouraged, you know, here's your script, but also then like follow the promptings of the spirit, right? And it's hard to then, it's hard to argue, you know, okay, your spiritual promptings were inappropriate at that time. Like it's, 
it's really difficult to be able to draw that line. And so I do, I do wonder, you know, can we fix this? Is a script like the option? Do you absolutely not pry? Um, Is it appropriate to ask these questions at all? Um, I don't. What do you, what do you make of this quote? I'm curious what you think of this. So she said, if a teenager is going to remain in this church, he or she will need to come to terms with the reality that Mormonism is a high expectation religion. Uh, the, the adults of the church are expected to give account to their bishop about certain behaviors, including chastity, on a regular basis. Teenagers should be allowed to experience this for themselves while still at home and still having their parents there to process with. Ooh. Like, what do teenagers need to that? have chats about the law of chastity, but it's only worth doing if they have a support network at home. Because otherwise, they're just like, I guess the assumption would be what, they go off to college, and they're still teenagers, they're 18 or 19, and they're still having yeah. discussions with the bishop, but they don't have their parents to fall back on, at least not in a live, a lived-in experience. So, I have kind of a potentially controversial idea, and it's only just been slowly starting to kind of butt in my head. Josie, vote, vote, vote for <laughs> Joe Biden is not going to help this. <laughs> That's not it. Um, no, but I do really feel um, that we as a church are not approaching concepts like the law of chastity and comprehensive sex education in the right sort of way. We are very much leaving we, it just to parents. Mm-hmm. And for me, that has been quite frustrating because there are some places that that works, right? And then for me, I noticed this particularly with one of the wards that I lived in Sydney. I had a lot of kids in my primary and throughout the youth that were being brought to church by like a grandparent or an auntie or, you know, their parents weren't in the picture potentially not really in the picture in their home lives, not just necessarily in a church life. And I was so frustrated by the idea that we were just going to let these kids like have to deal with these things and figure those conversations out on their own, that they weren't allowed to have the support of like primary and youth leaders because some of those things are inappropriate or we were told as youth leaders that we can't necessarily discuss. Obviously, we do it in an age-appropriate sort of way, um, but that we can't approach some of these topics with them. And I, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but for me, I just felt like, okay, so the kids who have parents who are um, there for them and are willing to have these discussions. We're okay with that. And they're going to potentially be safer from things like, you know, online internet safety, for example. But then these kids that don't have parental support, we're just going to let them deal with it on their own because we'd prefer to not have those conversations. And so then it started kind of budding in my mind, like, do we really need to have like each ward? I don't know how we could possibly have this, but like, I wish that each ward could have like an educated um, support person who can talk about these topics. Like, I don't know. I almost want like sex ed to come to um, like each ward and be able to discuss with the youth and have it from someone who's like trained and knows exactly what they're talking about. This would never happen. But in my ideal world, I just, we're not, addressing these topics the correct way. And I don't necessarily think that the bishop's interview is the ideal place for it. It could be. Sometimes it's been fine and other times it's obviously been really damaging for some people. So it's really, oh, Jeff, I don't know. I've been thinking about this topic a lot and I don't have a solution. So I'm pulling at straws here trying to come up with something, but it's, it's tough. It's tough to have a, like, it's a, tough. You can't go black and white on this. Like it's hard to have no. a clear cut answer. Yeah. But it is frustrating. It's interesting that she feels very strongly that, you know, despite her personal experience that, you know, getting rid of the interviews is an overreaction. I think I'm sort of in the middle at the well, moment. Well, maybe the, don't know what the solution is. Well, maybe the middle ground is sort of what we've been doing for two years, where these interviews are still a thing, but encourage parents to be involved in them. I mean, I, yeah, I, that provides you with oversight, essentially, and parents who are, especially ones who are uncomfortable with it, that opens the door and allows them to be heard and understood and be present when another adult is asking your child 
about sexual experiences or their understanding therein. So, but so I'm do not- we think that a teen needs to be asked that, or do we just stress that a teenager can go to their bishop if they feel like there's something that they well, need to disclose? Well, it depends on how it is. I mean, I think uh, having not been a bishop and not conducted regular bishops yeah. interviews or anything with youth, I think it matters quite a bit. Obviously, one way I think a bishop would try to have cover for this is encouraging all kids to have a limited use recommend at all times, just like an adult would have a, a, yeah. a full temple recommend. And to do that, you ask, you know, as a kid, keeping the law of chastity. Um, typical temple recommend question. If you leave that's it at that, true. then that's fine. And I think the hard thing is, yeah, a lot of kids might not be forthcoming, you know, culturally, if there are questions or things, or if they're not sure if they're keeping the law of chastity. Maybe they'll say, I don't know, frankly. I don't know if I'm keeping the law of chastity. And then that's when you get in, in a weird position where you're like, okay, well, like, do I ask them more? Do I, as you, you know, I am, know. I fo- am I following spiritual promptings Yeah. here, as you say, like to explain things to them? But if parents are present for such a situation, perhaps you're able to sort of get approving eyes or not from parents to like go into it more. I mean, I think parents are crucial. Parents are crucial in general, of course, to teach all yeah. of these things in the first place. And we recognize that not every every youth in the church has the benefit of having understanding parents who are in the same spiritual boat. But uh, I think that helps a lot, even if it's yeah. not a panacea, it helps. That's Well, and she did bring up a good point. Sorry to take so much time on this one, That's but okay. she did bring up a good point that, you know, um, if a teen does invite their parents into the interview, um, it's not like it is technically more likely that one or both of the parents is going to be more of the issue of abuse at home than it is going to be coming from a bishop. That's just more statistically, if we're talking about abuse, it is going to be more likely to be someone that yeah. teen is very closely connected with. Um, and it's probably more likely to be a family member. So there could be an issue with, you know, a parent wanting to maintain control in such a thing like the interview. But that's why this topic is so difficult trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, some are some parents are concerned about their teen being alone with the bishop. And some teens are concerned about their parent coming in with them because then perhaps they're exactly you know, yeah. still being controlled. Like how do you <laughs> I well, it's know, hard I guess to control. I, I mean, like, so I'm I'm in a somewhat of a position on this because I am the word executive secretary. I set up a lot mm. of youth interviews. I mean, I leave it open. So, and depends on how old the kid is. If a youth is at least 16, 17, I'll usually email them directly and CC their parents to ask for the interview. And I make a point to say, like, especially at that age, like, and of course, your parents are welcome to be present if that is something you guys want to do. If it's younger kids, like if they're 12 or 13, I usually email the parents directly to ask about the interview. And I say, and you can be present if you want. And like you said, I don't know about the controlling situation, as you said, but I also feel like in my, it would be weird for me to email a 12, like to call up a 12 year old and be like, hi, can you meet with the bishop? Like, I feel like yeah. I have to, I feel like I need to go through the parent firewall and make sure they're cool with that in the first place. Cause some parents even tell me like our kids don't do interview bishops interviews at all. Some of it possibly because of this, you know, in general, right. they don't want to discuss it and you say, okay, well I'm now I know. And so I won't ask. And that's, that's fine. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, let's move on to a couple of things. One thing hot off the press. Sure Josie hasn't even seen this one, but I'm going to throw it out there because it just came up while we started recording. An Ogden man- throwing new stuff at me? An Ogden Go man ahead. is in jail after allegedly choking his son for refusing to go on a mission. So what? Scott Scott Keith Warner, 49, uh, has been in jail in lieu of $3,900 in bail, charged with aggravated assault and domestic violence in the presence of a child. So allegedly his father grabbed his son and started fighting him because his son didn't want to go on a mission and his <sighs> father broke out in violence because of this news. Story developing. That's what we know. That Off- is one heck of a reaction. Oh my word. That's oh my one, I mean that's one way to do it, right? Like that's a uh, I yeah. mean that's up if there with we're that talking family. about the wrong way to do it. Yeah. 
Remember that I'm time? I'm sure that Bishop's interview didn't go very well for them either. Holy moly. Do you remember that story a couple of years ago when that family left their son in Zion National Park because he told him he yes. could go on a mission? Yes. We, it's like we laugh about it now, but it's like, these are not the ways to go to. Don't strangle your kid. Don't abandon your kid in a national park. Don't do it. To teach them it. a lesson. Yeah. Don't hire a one-armed man to teach them lessons. Um, you know, these are the things that matter. So there's that one. A uh, couple of quick temple drops for you here. I think I'm covering all of them. First of all, the church uh, announced the groundbreaking for and released the design of the Taylorsville, Utah temple. We've been waiting for this one. Utah, of course, has had a bevy of temples being announced over the past few years, but we haven't seen what the Taylorsville temple would look like until now. And it's kind of cool. It's a little bit different. It looks a lot more like a uh, an earlier sort of, uh, would you say that? Gothic, Victorian. What do you want to call? Well, those are kind of the same thing. Ugh. Gothic revival is kind of how I. Neither of those are coming to my mind. I'd go. Okay. Go- no, I'd go Gothic revival for this. So it looks more like, uh, if, honestly, if you look at the old Provo Tabernacle before it became the Provo City Center Temple, older yeah. structures that you would have seen built in the late 1800s, perhaps in Utah. It has more of that vibe. Uh, Floor plan wise, I can tell it pretty much seems just like the Tuella Valley and the Orem, Utah temples, um, just based yeah, off I was of this. Say, it looks similar to some of the other ones that we've yeah. had announced recently. Yeah, it looks a lot like those, and the announced square footage gels with that as well. No Moroni here uh, either, just like some of the other newer temples. And I think we're seeing the pattern now where I think we're going back to the October 2018 general conference, and like anything from that point on has is Moroni less. Not perfect. It seems that even though there's temples that have been dedicated with President Nelson, um, if they're like holdovers, he hasn't done it. Or even some of the maybe ones that were already in the works, like even after he took over earlier in 2018. Because like the the Red Cliffs one in St. George will have a Moroni, even though that's also just underway. So anyway, cool looking building though. I can dig it. Uh, We joked in the article that you might think this is to blend in with like historic Main Street Taylorsville. It's not. It's uh, surrounded by a residential neighbor, like a post-war residential neighborhood, and across the street from a like a so delicious competitor and a Burger King and an Arby's or something like that. So it's not. It just looks cool on its own. Um, but that's great. So happy for the Taylorsville people. And they only said the groundbreaking will be in October. No date. No one can go. That's all we know. Now, uh, I mentioned the Tuella Valley Temple which has been a bit more controversial of late. And this is hilarious, just civic engagement going cray-cray. So uh, the Tuella Valley Temple is being built in, what's it called? Erda, Edna? Erda, I believe is where it is, uh, which is sort of in between the main cities within the Tuella Valley. Tuella itself, um, Grantsville, Stansbury Park, right? Erda is just farmland. That's it. But they put, they're putting the temple right there so that it just kind of serves as a node between all three of them. Uh, and, but as part of this, the church wanted to build a a residential development all around the temple. You know, housing, all just as far as the eye can see, probably a school, just a whole big church development on church-owned land all around the temple. Beautiful, wonderful, suburban bliss. Who doesn't love it? I'll tell you who doesn't love it. The people of the Tuella Valley don't love it because they complained repeatedly that the development in question was, quote, high density, which is a term that cracks Probably the, you and I up a lot, Josie, because I think uh, live, you living in Singapore, you're aware of what high-density housing actually looks like, whereas these are people complaining about lots that are smaller than half an acre for single-family homes. And that is quote, mm-hmm. high-density. High I mean, it is high-density for there because it's farmland, so it's not dense at all. There's zero density. Um but the people, like, this is one of these things you thought might be a minor issue, but they got so many signatures and it, and it caused so many problems, it was potentially going to force a vote for the the board. Uh, and they would have been forced to, like, do we just plow ahead and not care what our residents think? And so the church backed off. The church just straight up said, okay, we are not going to build a residential community at all. Have fun with your temple in the middle of farmland. And that's how we're going to, that's going to be the end of it. So uh, the church wants to be a nice neighbor. They don't want there to be contention around a temple amongst members of the faith. I think that's understandable. Fair and, enough. And so they are uh, not going to do it, which kind of bums me out. I was looking forward to this weird island of church development because if you look at the map, yeah. there's nothing around it. So it would have been this They were going to get tennis village. courts. They were going to have playgrounds. 
I thought Bummer. it looked quite nice. But hey, that is community and spacious <laughs> organizing in action, people. Not since the days of when uh, a couple of years ago, when the church, when they wanted to build a a tall tower at the MTC in Provo, and the residents right around it were like, "Dude, we have had like a gentleman's agreement for decades when the church built the MTC in the first place, and they said we won't build anything more than five stories tall." out of respect for your neighborhood that just that abuts the MTC because that would just be huge. And then, then the church was just going to go ahead and do it anyway and the neighbors got livid. Like they went to the Provo City Council and were like, no, can't do this. And the church had to back off. Huh. It's got to well, be a weird, feel, a weird feeling when you're engaging at a civic level with the church. Like I am a, I'm a believing card-carrying member, but no, I don't care if you say that this is what the church needs. It, not no, as, thank you. I am a NIMBY yeah. right now. You can't do it, yeah. Well, I'm going to do some international news mentions really quick. A few headlines and thankfully a few that are not necessarily COVID related. Um, So we have um, provided food and financial support for farmers in Nepal thanks to a partnership with Latter-day Saint Charities. The project helped Im- to improve some cattle sheds and some veggie production so that farmers could um, have a more sustainable crop that they could then take to the markets and sell. So that was a nice little boost for them. They're feeling awesome. a bit. Yeah. Um, there was some flooding in Yemen from some massive rainstorms back in April, but um, the Latter-day Saint Charities has again stepped in to provide and donate some supplies um, for the 160,000 displaced people, so things like cooking fuel, mattresses, blankets, and kitchenware. Um, Yemen's having a pretty rough time at the moment, so I'm hoping that support kind of continues. Yemen has been um, a, a massive civil war for a number of years right now, yeah. back, backed by competing uh, larger puppet master factions. Yeah, Many it would be nice to know if LDS charities, sorry, Latter-day Saint charities got involved with a little bit more than just necessarily the flood. I don't know if they're doing much more to support like uh, refugees or those in the country who are trying to just get by. So, um, but hopefully, and judging by Jeff's quick tapping on the keyboard, I'm guessing he's looking. So I will plow oh, a lot of no, time. Well, well, it's funny. You <laughs> me- well, no, no, no. The one thing to mention about that was, yeah, because cholera has been this major issue in Yemen of all places. Like they've had these huge mm. outbreaks of cholera during the, uh, just a, this health crisis on top of everything else. So I don't know how involved the church is in that capacity, but mm. it's rough. Terrible. We you do we do I think normally try and get involved to help with some public health stuff. So I would not be surprised if we're there somewhere, um, but I just don't have a report on that. Yeah. The um, Australian ballet dancer Jake. I'm gonna give his last name a go. I'm just Hold glad on. you found this one because yeah, I was yeah. not gonna this even my, include it this week, but you brought my bit of Aussie news. I think his name is like, yeah, we're just going to call him Jake because I don't want to totally butcher his name. Um, he proposed to his girlfriend on national TV, morning TV, I think on Channel 7. Um, and some re- may remember Jake. He was highlighted a couple of years ago in the press for his decision to go and serve a mission. He since obviously returned home a couple of years ago, and he's a member of the Australian Ballet. He is based in Melbourne, and his girlfriend slash now fiance is in Brisbane. So they I were being interviewed. Melbourne, thank you. Yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, so like many couples, I think they've, you know, haven't seen each other for a couple of months because of the pandemic situation. So there you go. Spoiler alert. She said yes. And she looks great. Lots of makeup. Yeah. 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 It was, it was delightful. A little bit awkward, but I'm glad that they got through it. (laughs) Sephora is in business. Yeah. So members of the church all across, um, Africa, do, do, do. hold on, sorry, I wrote all across East Africa, but it was actually all across West Africa, my apologies. Yeah, Nigeria Observed, is not East Africa. Yeah, my bad. All Africa Service Day on August 15th, and so a bunch of different members in several different countries participated in projects like cleaning and painting public buildings, um, blood donation, tree planting, general sanitation, and donations to orphanages. There was one stake in Nigeria that cleared roads and public buildings for weeds, and dangerous reptiles, which I love this mention, and I have been left with so many questions. 
Um, so I would like more information on that, but I do not have any currently. I don't know. Maybe I need to Google what sort of dangerous reptiles are currently in Nigeria. I can probably find out. My son's obsessed with all those. Um, the church presidency in the Middle East and over also North Africa offered their condolences to Beirut after the explosion. I would also like to see, um, hopefully in the coming weeks, how LDS charities or maybe Helping Hands is trying to, um, well, give a lending hand in that sort of situation. I'm not sure if we're doing much more beyond that, but um, that was a serious tragedy. And Family Search gave 190 years of digital records to a parish church in Manila after a fire completely destroyed the church's interior, including all of their records. Um, so Elder Wakolo of the 70 presented a USB to Reverend Sani De Carlo, and it had records dating back to about 1778. So it's a little bit of a step forward to hopefully for them trying to get their records back. Nice. That is our international news. Um, so, oh goodness, there's so many random little tidbits that we can jump on here for the rest. We do have tidbits. Let's let's. Okay, okay, okay. So one that I think is just hilarious. Budweiser. Let's talk about Budweiser because we don't talk about alcohol very much on this show unless it's Utah's funny little, whatever they call that, the curtain of righteousness at the restaurants, whatever that thing is they do with their, I forgot the name, Zion Curtain. I don't know. Um, <laughs> curtain of righteousness. It's like a chastity belt. I'm forgetting oh. the name. It's the whole thing how Utah thinks that you can't see the beer, the alcohol being stored or served because it will, yeah. you know, it'll make it's you. It's a bit pop. of an ostrich policy, isn't it? Like yes, I will not see it. Does. Cannot hurt me. Sometimes when I want to move to Utah, I need things like this to remind me not to do it. So, but this one's hilarious. Budweiser wants to be Utah's official state beer. Utah might have a state, an official state beer, I guess. I think that's kind of strange. Usually the official state things are like non-brands, like a particular animal or a flower or a fossil. It's not like you're whatever. So... They want to be, then again, the Olympics, you know, the Visa is the official sponsor, whatever. And McDonald's, for some reason, is also an Olympic sponsor. Figure that one out. How many Michael, is Michael Phelps eating McDonald's? Is he having a McGriddle every day? I don't know, folks. Anyway, Budweiser wants to be Utah's official state beer and suggests a can that has, you know, the delicate arch on it, some of the old buildings in Salt Lake City, a wagon being pulled, the beautiful mountains of Utah, including the Capitol building, a building that is unmistakably, I think, the City Creek condo tower just off South Temple, and also the temple itself. Um, you know, no big deal, because who doesn't have an issue with the front of the can? The can says, Utah's state beer, and as you rotate it around, there she is, the Salt Lake Temple, right there underneath the word Budweiser. I think this is hilarious. Also hilarious. I think Budweiser's no- having a good time. Also funny is because no state has an official state beer. So, you know, of course, let's let's go after Utah. That's the market. So um, I just, I think this is the greatest thing. Now, bear in mind, of course, that Budweiser is owned by InBev. You know, it's not even a, an American institution anymore, which is very sad. But uh, they, um, they're, it's a Twitter thing. It's, you know, it's all like big game and marketing and social interactions. But... Whoever gets the most tags, a number that of eight, 84,899 tags or retweets, Utah will become the first state to have its own Budweiser can. S- basically, either way, it's just funny. If they do it, it's great. It's totally with every knowledge of the makeup of the state. And I'm very happy that they are doing this because why not? I yeah, why, why not? To stir the pot a little bit. Um, There was an interesting article that came out um, about a couple. They are in a what is called a mixed orientation marriage. Um, And so the husband um, is gay, but is still married to a woman. And this was kind of an interesting sort of story. I thought it was fascinating because um, I think it's, kind of controversial. And so I like that they pointed out that 
even between the two of them, they don't necessarily know exactly how their relationship works, but that it does. And I'm sure some members would probably think like, brilliant, we've solved the LGBT issue. We were right all along. You just have to marry like a straight person, um, which nope. But I also feel like you can't deny this couple and their experience and that they have a relationship that's working for them, which is great. So do you have any thoughts on that? I do, but I don't want to spoil next week's show, which is going oh, to okay. get in, right. which is actually going to get, it's going to get into some of this where we actually talk about some research and the four sort of paths available to LGBT Latter-day Saints. And one of yeah. them is the mixed orientation marriage, which I wholly admit I easily look at it and scoff at the notion. Like because right. but but I shouldn't because for some these are more successful than you realize. And they're making a choice and saying, like, to me, the important thing is to have a celestial marriage. Like that trumps my need to express my homosexuality in a relationship, more or less. And if that works for some people, then good. I think it's easy to be cynical about it if you're because of like Josh Weed, if you remember a few years ago, he made a lot of waves for this. It was the same situation, essentially. Oh, okay. They were happily married. But then a few years ago, they it turns out they came back into the limelight. And so they were getting divorced because it just did not work. And Josh had to be who he was. Um, right. So it's easy to look at this and say, like, how's it actually going to work? But it does work for some. So Yeah. Good. I do think that it's tricky. And I think that there was a little bit of a mention in there that um, I think that they've probably, from the LGBT community, had some pushback. Um, it's understandable, yeah, I, for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's just a tricky sort of situation, but we are probably a little too quick to <laughs> think that we should um, have a whole lot of say in a person's relationship. And it's like, you know what? I think that that's between the two of them. And if it's working for them, then that should be that's what celebrated and wonderful for them. Yeah. Another... Uh, troubling story, but I think everyone's going to be okay. So two Latter-day Saint missionaries in Houston are recovering after a man broke into their apartment and stabbed them. Um, also... This is horrific. Like, multiple times. It wasn't just once. Multiple times. I'm glad they're they're recovering, which is yeah. very nice. And these were sister missionaries, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah. Um, How horrific. Well, if I can make light of it, I just want to appreciate... Yeah, sorry. I'm being the downer. No, no, no. I... No, please. Let's. We should make light of. Someone's got to be the pessimist here. No, I just thought it was funny when I opened the story because they have to have some kind of an image attached to it, you know, for metadata and sharing. And it's like they had nothing they could go with. Like they couldn't use the skyline of Houston or a picture of the Houston Temple or missionaries. They just went on Google Maps and did a little snip tool grab. Like someone typed in Houston. And then you just see Houston on Google Maps, and that's all you see for the story about missionaries <laughs> in Houston. I thought that was a weird move, Excellent. editors, but. Uh, you know, whatever. I'm just glad they're going to be okay. I mean, this could have been one of these stories where it's two missionaries stabbed and murdered by a crazy intruder, and thankfully they'll be surviving. Uh, yeah, you know, I wonder what will terrible how they'll be able to recover from that. I imagine there's going to be a whole lot of probably trauma connected with a lot, that. A lot of PTSD Oof. with that. Uh, other quick men. I'm going to plow through a couple of quick mentions here. Big news, but nothing much more than a mention, but the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, Tabcats, to all of you, uh, is canceling the Christmas concert. And the Tabernacle Choir Christmas concert is an institution uh, to many. It's broadcast. It's a huge hot ticket item in Salt Lake City. Uh, they usually film it, you know, obviously near Christmas time. Uh, f- capable, famous stars within the, the singing and dancing space show up. And perform with them, you know, not members of the church. Uh, it's but of, because of COVID, they have decided that they're going to postpone it because of you know large gatherings. It's still a ways off, but I guess the church is staying ahead of this one and just saying, nope, this might be in mid-December, but not going to happen. Which makes me also worried that if this isn't going to happen in mid-December, it typically happens the week after the first presidency Christmas devotional. I have yeah. to imagine the first presidency Christmas devotional is on the chopping block as well. I mean, they could do it without anybody in the audience, but it still involves 300 members of the Tabernacle Choir singing without masks on at each other. Yeah, because so. there was lots of music always in that devotional, so that could be a little bit tricky. Maybe they could just insert some of, like, you know, 10 years ago of the choir and just, you know, how we kind of do with conference right now. Yeah, maybe. Fine. I just, yeah, it makes me sad, but I guess it's what you have to yeah. do. Yeah. Also, um, um, 
Ensign College, which used to be LDS Business College, is transitioning to 100% remote classes after Thanksgiving, like a lot of places are doing. So that's happening. It's coming. And it also raises the question whether it should be still Ensign College because we got rid of the Ensign. I know they just recently renamed it, but like, are we up for another renaming like so soon? Because I am. I think it should be Leohona College, don't you? If we're going to have brand fidelity. Come on. Oh, man. Oh, fine. Um. BYU has waived the SAT and ACT requirements just temporarily. Um, I think this is for mostly for incoming students or probably students who are trying to graduate within the next year or two and are struggling to get access to the tests. Um, So be interesting to see. I imagine they're trying to not make it change the admission requirements too much, but we shall see. Um, and then for another slightly kind of uh, depressing story, there was a... Well, that's what you're doing this McCann- week. We've, we've, <laughs> we've established. I know. So I'm just fine. here with all the good news. Yeah, there we go. Hey, I mentioned a proposal that was cheery. Oh, all right. Give so me a break. Cheery. Well done, Jake. Well done. Um, so there was a Muslim mechanic who says he was fired from a Cedar City car dealership after leaving the LDS church oh, um, and converting to Islam. And it sounds like uh, or he has, I think within the court case um, that he's filed, there are several complaints about some harassment, about being Muslim that he's experienced while working there, and that the being fired seems to be the... Um, little cherry on top of not a great experience that's messed up um, yeah there's it, there's obviously more detail in the in yeah. the article about like some very specific phrases that were said which i don't necessarily think we need to repeat but it's um not cherry stuff and was definitely if all found to be um accurate and true definitely over the line and should not have happened Man, if i changed my faith my coworkers wouldn't even care they won't even know about it but it's a lot different when you're down in Cedar City and the church is overwhelmingly yeah. dominant and it's everything in the culture. And that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It makes me think about, I don't know, like at BY. Similarly, because leaving the faith is a whole different thing, of course, especially when you convert to something else. Like I think we look at members who are less active or disaffected or just don't care differently mm. than those who, I think even differently, from, there's those who just completely, completely renounce the faith and say the church is not true and I don't believe it. There's that. But I think someone who... Go, switches over and goes like, no, I'm going to be a Muslim or no, I'm going to be a Baptist or something like that. I think we feel even more betrayed in a weird way because you're not just saying the church isn't true. You are very clearly saying this other faith mechanism is the truer one and the one I'm going to follow. And uh, and then is- I don't know. I kind of disagree with that. I almost think that it's a little bit like um, more comforting to see that they still have a faith faith in something that they're willing to follow. Yeah, so I think more than anything, sometimes I'm a little bit more sad that there's, I think with maybe renouncing a faith, there's almost, you sort of assume that they've lost, like, hope in a belief of something to come after, and that to me is maybe a little bit more sad. That's fair. That's fair. Um, All right, Jeff, do we want to get uh, into court cases? I don't know. We're we're running hot on time, but uh, I know. oh, why not? Let's take. Let's we take, could do a really quick mention. Take, take so us just, there, Josie. Yeah. Okay. So in Utah and Idaho, I believe it's just those two states. They received a letter from the church, uh, just as a kind of routine reminder. It, it, it's for, it's that, for everybody. It's for everybody. Oh, really? It, it's a letter okay, addressed. It it's a letter addressed to general authorities, officers, and the following leaders in the United States and Canada, Area 70, Stake, Mission, District, Temple okay. Presidents, Bishops, Branch Presidents, members of ward and state council. So this could go all the way down to okay. the primary president in your branch. Gotcha. But the short of it is that they are not to be involved in court cases. And this has kind of caused a little bit of a hoopla well, because it came out around the same time as a case that Jeff doesn't want to discuss anymore. As Lori Vallow is being arraigned. <laughs> but, but be clear here, though. Yeah. This isn't just saying, this isn't saying don't be involved in court cases. And that's why I think there's a lot of news agencies looking for the, like an in, they're trying to find an angle here that makes it look yeah. bad. I think it's, it says, the, the letter says, we remind leaders and members of a longstanding policy that church leaders should not involve themselves in civil or criminal cases regarding members in their units, quorums, or organizations without first consulting with church legal counsel. So that's different. It's not saying don't be involved in lawsuits. And in theory, that means you could yeah. sue somebody in a neighboring ward. 
right? I mean, maybe they're trying to imply stake or, you know, just don't get involved with church members in general. But um, it says right there, your units, your quorums, or your organizations. I think I get why the church would just, it's, it's existing council, why they'd want this, but it's also easy to look at it and say, well, why is the church involved? If I have a civil issue with someone who happens to be in my ward, the church isn't my employer. Like it's none of the church's business in theory, but yes, they want to remind everybody, but it is funny that they want to remind us all of this policy right when Valo madness is happening in Idaho. A little bit. I I actually didn't know about this. And so if I could just, I, I was trying to think if there were examples where this could be like a bad policy. And I think the important thing to remember is that you can still seek permission if you're concerned about going against this particular advice. Um, The only thing that I could see this as being potentially an unnecessary delay in some criminal cases. So say, for example, if there was um, like an abuse victim who did confide in their bishop and then later requested that that bishop testifies. And then even worse, if the perpetrator was somebody in your ward, well, then you're really in a pretty sticky situation. And I do think that um, it in that case, like it would be important to seek legal advice of the church. But I also really would hope that it doesn't mean that you as a bishop are prohibited if you are like a really crucial testimony in in a particular case like that of keeping somebody safe. So I could see that as being a potential point of conflict if that's what um, people are really concerned about. But I think that those are, uh, we'd hope, a rarity. Well, and what's funny about this is they, uh, Fox 13, the Fox affiliate in Utah, uh, reached out to the church's uh, media relations manager, Sam Penrod, and they said, like, mm-hmm. they want a clarification on the letter. And they said, does this uh, indicate the policy exists to dissuade leaders leaders from being involved in legal matters? Like, And this is someone from the church who said straight up, like, we, the church, would encourage them not to get involved. That's the whole point, is that local leaders shouldn't get involved in any type of court case. That takes it to a different level, I think. Because if there's, like, a court case that has nothing to do with anybody, like, any kind of court case, is that really what they yeah. mean? And they said, like, are you sure, like... What if you're subpoenaed? And then the church spokesman just said, I can't speak to that. They just don't want the church involved. And so you can see how the church can yeah. get dragged in. But it's also weird to have somebody say they don't want that involved in any type of court case. Because what if my court case is that someone hit me with their car and I want to sue them for damages? <laughs> yeah. Right? But um, I know all of you, li- I know many of you listening will comment on this on our Facebook page and you're welcome to and take me to task for my legal ignorance and that is fine. I welcome it. I welcome Yeah, by all means. Educate me. Go ahead. That's Attack fine. Jeff. Not Josie though. Just just come after me. Josie's nice. And, <laughs> oh, and she, she is of, I'm just the pessimist on the podcast. She is of come the on. fairer gender. You must respect her and treat her delicately. Oh, well. Okay. Well, yeah, put me on that yeah, pedestal. Yeah. Well, Watch me tumble. Well, a couple of quick mentions here. VidAngel uh, has a series called The Chosen that depicts the life of Christ through the eyes of those around him, which is pretty good. And I'm glad VidAngel's doing something other than breaking copyright law. Um, they are going to film uh, season two on the church's Goshen set, the one where the church filmed all the Bible videos. So that's cool. Uh, the, the whole reason the church built it was to do Bible videos and then be able to rent it out in the future to those who might need it. So that's going to get some good use. And uh, I'm just going to, my last one here, random Facebook stuff that just says, read, I love this one. Read the book. Oh, you can, do, Josie, take us there. Then go ahead. Uh, read the book, get the look. It's like one of those little Vogue little pictures where it's got some sort of a celebrity in the corner and what you can purchase to look exactly like them. But it's a character, obviously, from the Book of Mormon. And so we got a little picture of. The Book of Mormon, and then I'm trying to decide which one's my favorite. I think it might be Captain Moroni with his little skirt, and you can buy an identical little schoolgirl skirt. That's and part a is the beanie, little the beanie. mustard. And I love the, the beanie with like a big red pom pom on top. Is sort of his because little, Moroni looks like a feather. like a Roman legion warrior yeah. in this drawing. It's more, yeah, it's it's great. Also, really into the. Um, what was the other one? I think it was, was it, Mar- um, hold on, I'm trying to find it. There we go. Also of Moroni, 
um, and how the picture of him praying with the uh, gold plates and his hair is fully white and you can buy a similar poncho and I love that they've included a white beret so you can obviously have the same exact also white hair golden handbag very into that the golden handbag is really really good and loafers that are like (laughs) mongoose yeah these are all pretty good so whoever put this pretty good great on all you folks it's a good for good i'm a big fan yeah i'm game uh folks we if you would i ask this all the time but once again please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts please take the time drop us a nice positive five-star review there about how amazing we are and uh, we'd really appreciate that and also please support us on patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash this weekend mormons two dollars a month it's all i'm asking inflation right it's no longer one dollar two dollars a month everybody would be dynamite to help us keep the lights on because just 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 as an example last week alone we had problems with the website i cannot publish new content on it it was still up but i couldn't publish it so i had to go back and tweak a bunch of things and fix stuff and in my mind i was like i would love to buy a new wordpress theme right now but i'd have to pay out of pocket for that and i don't want to i want you to pay out of pocket for it by donating two dollars a month on patreon <laughs> to help me do it anyway that'd be really good excellent uh please you know but subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already and encourage others to do the same and tell everybody all your friends everyone in the world about this this brand new podcast that's 491 episodes deep it's great so josie wonderful to have you here thank you very much thank you jeff it's always a pleasure to see you i'm glad we were able to catch up and I'm sure we'll hear from Josie again within the next month. And also, I guess we'll probably do a conference recap here because general conference is already like, what, five, six weeks away again? Jeez. All right. Well, here we are. Time to get ready. Creeping up on us. Get ready, everybody. More bad Elders Quorum inspired floral arrangements behind the speakers. We can only hope. I hope it's a terranium this time. Just throwing it out I there. hope it's an aquarium with... Oh, yes. With nothing turtles no it's just betta fish killing each other in the background that's all i want (laughs) excellent that'll set the spirit real good all right well folks thanks for taking the time to listen we hope you have a tremendous and wonderful week and we'll talk to you again next week on this week in mormons until then be well be holy and be happy bye